Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 19. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. This week we're discussing chapter 7 of Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. This chapter is titled, The Relationship Defined. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 19. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Advanced apologies for the audio quality this week. Things were a little off, and uh, hopefully next week we'll be right back to normal. Thanks for listening. And we're here to talk about another chapter of Not a Fan by Kyle Edelman. Today finds us in chapter 7. The uh, scripture passage that sets off this chapter is Matthew 7, uh, commonly referred to as the sheep and the goats, kind of the end of the, I don't know, end of the age, end of the world? What is it, Greg? When? Oh, yeah, those who come to me and say, I did this and that in your name, and... Uh, Jesus will say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Right. Yeah, the kind of judgment sort of thing. You know. so, so what's your take on this chapter? What would you, any, any, uh, any highlights, any like, oh, wow, that was really good, or uh, we don't want to spend that much time, I guess, on, oh, that was bad, but I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to go there, but that's kind of where I'm headed. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to disappoint you, man. <laughs> There's no way I'm gonna, I can miss, miss that one. Well, you know what? I, now I'm just gonna state the, the, the. Uh, maybe I'll just bring in our, our last recording. So our last recording, we actually recorded this chapter already, and and my recording system uh, messed up. But I am actually really glad about that because there was something I totally missed out on, and that is the. Like the beginning, middle, and end of what I want to focus on, unless you've got other things, John. I don't. I, I would just suggest to anyone that's reading the book along with us or has read it and found Chapter 7 confusing, I, I'll just cut right to the chase and, and make this shorter than I did in our original recording, which is to say I found this chapter very choppy and almost... Like one section kind of contradicts another, and and then it just kind of ends at the end by saying uh, what he's said like thirty times already is that Jesus wants com- completely committed followers. But I didn't really see how the chapter backed up that thing. So take it away. I don't think I have anything really helpful to offer or that's no, worth really digging into. So yeah, over to well, you. You know, and, but I, I will I will take that point. As a preface to my point, and we are in chapter 7, there are 14 chapters in the book. This is kind of one of the middle chapters. It's the last chapter of the first part. The first part begins with a chapter called DTR, Defining the Relationship, and this chapter is called The Relationship Defined. So this chapter, I, you know, the, the irony here is it's supposed to make things clear. The penultimate and, chapter. Well, yeah, in terms of in terms of this, like, in, in the, it's the last one of this section. So A, it wasn't clear for you, and B, you know what, I'm going to say is I was just floored when that last uh, recording failed. And I went back and looked at the chapters thinking, oh, gee, we've got to do this again. And I could not believe how, I guess my head wasn't, I don't know, in it last time, but the last two pages, pages 110 and 111, 
are dedicated to a story. I think this this could be some of the only chapters that don't end. Normally, he's got a, 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 a not a fan the story, and the background color of those pages for that those stories is slightly different in color. This seems to be the only one that doesn't have that, and I get the sense this is somewhat important. I think and, that's because the other ones are like little vignettes for other people, and I think this is his personal. This is his personal. This well, is family oh, or something. Okay, I'm going to go even further than the, uh, uh, with with that then because um, I could not believe this. I'm going to I'm going to recount a little bit of this story so that you know it's clear as to what we're talking about. But I was, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I said his family. No, this is a personal experience that he himself had with someone. Yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's why it's not gray. Got a gray background because he's telling it versus somebody else telling it. But I think that makes it all the more, pardon the pun, telling uh, in terms of what I'm going to say about it. But he tells a story about a single dad who starts coming to his church. Uh, this guy had a difficult life, uh, but he 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 becomes increasingly involved in the church. And and one of the main descriptors that Kyle uses of this single dad, he says, quote, he, the single dad, fell in love with Jesus. And then a little later on the page, 110, following Jesus brought a radical change to his life. And he highlights things like joy, etc. The problem and the, the kind of uh, plot of this little story is that this guy, the single, single dad's mom, uh, wants to meet with Kyle, the pastor, and with her son, the single dad. All three of them. They meet. Kyle's going in with the expectation that this, he knows this woman uh, attends a church in another part of town and thinks this is going to be a happy story or a happy conversation about the mom just being so pleased that her son is, 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 has moved out of, away from some of these negative things he was doing, has come back to the church, and, and is doing the right thing for himself and his kids. Instead, Kyle is shocked to understand that this guy's mom thinks that the young man has gone overboard. He is uh, being excessively committed to the church, and he is um, doing too much. As, as the mom says, it's about everything in moderation, right? And, and I, I, <clears throat> I want to read Kyle's part to you, because I think this is really, really crucial. And I'm quoting from page, top of page 111. I tried to keep a pleasant smile, but my teeth were clenched and my breath was short. I was feeling defensive of my friend. I could feel my eyebrows narrowing and say and saw my nostrils flare. So I did what I always do when I get angry. I started quoting scripture from Revelation. I said to this lady who had been in the church most of her life, In Revelation 3, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, You are neither hot nor cold, but because you are lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus doesn't say everything in moderation. He says you can't be my follower if you, if you don't give up everything. His invitation is an all-or-nothing invitation. Well, first of all, is Jesus even speaking in Revelation? It's a revelation to John, right? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right, and I think that... Um, I'm that not sure how much that changes stuff, but I, I, have a, a, I have a very sensitive spot to when, you know, it's like, well, it's in the Bible, so Jesus said it to us, or it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue. No, I, I hear you. I hear you, and I wonder too about the use of that that verse. Uh, if it, if he's really getting if that's if that's really what that verse is indicating. Um, 
But that's a classic use of that text. I mean, oh, totally. I mean, I can't remember when I first heard it. I mean, I've heard it my entire life, uh, which fits into his whole paradigm of, you know, mm-hmm. you you are either absolutely, completely committed, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, or mm-hmm. you're not in. You're just a fan, and that's what God demands. And so you don't want to be lukewarm. So. Pick one or the other, and there's really only one choice because you want to go to heaven, don't you? <laughs> like, that's kind of how it boils down. Well, yeah, you know, and the only thing I'm surprised about is we haven't seen this verse popping up all over the place in this book. No, you know what he did? He used it earlier. Oh, did he? We, we talked about it in another chapter, and I remember asking you, my recollection of when we discussed it was that it it didn't fit this whole sense of commitment to God at all. But I can't right. remember... You seem to be fairly, fairly familiar with the the passage and, and the background to it, so can you recall that again, or did I read that somewhere else? Just one sec here. Minor technical difficulty. Yes, and I just reached over to grab my book on Revelation, which I didn't have. I should have brought that down. Um, so in terms of that one little section, I just wonder if I can pull that out really quickly. What did he say it was? Three... Hmm. It didn't, it didn't cite a verse. Shouldn't be that hard to find. Revelation 3. That verse aside, here's what's striking me here. It's Revelation 3.16. Yeah. Well, I'll just read the, this one little, one little section. In comparing the spiritual state of the church at the na- to the nauseating, tepid waters of the city, Jesus describes the community of believers, so they're Christians, neither as cold nor hot, and positively as lukewarm. No direct explanation tells how this metaphor corresponds to a spiritual state, but the command to be zealous and repent suggests that the lukewarmness represents a deficiency in zeal for Christ. So that's what I've got in one, one thing. Um, yeah, I'll just, well, I'll read the, I'll read, it's only two more, two more paragraphs. The statement, I wish you were hot or cold, raises the startling prospect that Jesus, though wishing for all believers to be hot, would actually find coldness less offensive than lukewarmness. Perhaps we should not, not find this too surprising. Those who zealously oppose Christ, who are cold, and those who zealously serve him, hot, have one thing in common. They both take him seriously. The one who neither opposes nor serves offers Christ the ultimate insult, affirming his existence, but not taking him seriously. Such a condition places the church in jeopardy of being ejected from the very body of Christ. The image of Christ vomiting is an undignified and shocking one, and its use here warns us that he is not to be taken lightly. That is one reading, and I've got another book here. Let's see if we can hammer this down, nail this down. Um... Yeah, okay. As in all the other letters, we have the proclamation that the risen Christ knows the work deeds of the church. There is no particular fault-finding in relationship to pagan activity, as in previous letters. The claim is that they are neither hot nor cold. The desire is that they are one or, or the other. This brings us back to the water supply or lack thereof at Laodicea. In the introduction, we noted that Laodicea was dependent on water, on others for its water. There are two prominent sources or types of water in close proximity that of Hierophilus, which was hot, 
and medicinal, like hot springs, and that of Colosse, which was cold and pure. The church, because it is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, is about to literally be vomited, a violent metaphor, out of Christ's mouth. It seems to me it is important to realize here that both hot and cold are to contrast to lukewarm and not to each other. Hot and cold, then, are not positive and negative, but both positive in regard to what the church work, church's work should be. It is often thought that hot means on fire for the Lord, or full commitment, while cold means no fire for the Lord, or no commitment. But the question we are faced with in this case is why Christ would approve of either full commitment or no commitment. The fact of the matter is their works are neither hot in a healing medicinal sense nor cold in a refreshingly spiritual sense. The church then is unproductive. Christ That's intriguing. Now, now I have to say... Uh, what are you the, reading uh, from? Can you, can you cite your sources real quick for anyone that's sure curious can. what we're using? So, for the first one, I have Revelation 4 views of parallel commentary by Stephen Gregg, who uh, is a minister. And the second one, I have the little-known The Apocalypse by a strange fellow named Gregory J. Lowry, <laughs> who happens to be my mentor. <laughs> so, I mean, Greg's, you can see how Greg's work, uh, Greg's book is about a tenth the size and, and the amount of thought he has in, in, in this. I mean, I, I hadn't read these beforehand. I'm just giving it to you, but it's, it's really obvious when he's talking about comparing Herophilus to Colossae. And yeah, you figure out, like, why would, why would Jesus want somebody to be cold in the sense of, you know, you distaste, you know, I think the, the first view is quite off. Let me finish the second yeah, finish, one. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sure. The church is unpro- then is unproductive. Christ is about to vomit them out of his mouth. They are being called to accountability for their lack of works, and in this sense, and, and it is in this sense that Christ wishes that they were hot or cold. Either one will do. Sadly, they are lukewarm, and therefore distasteful to Christ. So the idea is, yeah, I mean, he's making the comparison between the, the healing and medicinal versus the refreshing and uh, rejuvenating, and these are all things the church is supposed to be, but this church is not doing anything. Um, yeah, and... Uh, so bring us back. <laughs> okay, here's where I'm going. I have... When I look at this, what I see is the opportunity for a dialogue. And what I see this guy doing is exactly what he says he was going to do. What I, what I, how I interpret what Kyle has, how he has responded, I interpret him as responding exactly in conformity with the other six chapters in this book and what they have told us about him and how he views things. And what I would say is this is the most egregious, terrible response I can imagine from a Christian minister. Shame on you. That, that, when I use the word shame on you, that, that, that's like saying a bunch of four-letter words. That's, that's stronger than those four-letter words. That is incredibly strong. Shame on you. Shame on you for, for treating this woman like that, for not entering into... This is a possibility for a dialogue. And this is what happens when we, when we orient ourselves to people... In, in the way that he is orienting with this whole you know, single question, getting to heaven, getting to hell, or avoiding hell, that's not the point. Christianity is not about reward or punishment. It is about being in love with Jesus. And, he, and it's, it's remarkably ironic that he starts the story off by talking about this guy with the words, he fell in love with Jesus, and goes on to show how the only thing he can do is get angry at somebody. And, and, and respond, you know, this, this is ridiculous. I felt defensive for my friend. Well, good enough, you felt defensive for your friend. How about you love your neighbor as yourself? 
poorly done. Absolutely poorly done. And the reason it's poorly done and the reason he doesn't catch it and the reason he puts it in there as a good thing to do and he's totally screwed up on this is because his whole orientation is off. I mean, this makes me, I feel so irritated with this, so angry, because this is exactly what the church does. We find opportunities for dialogue. Somebody is sitting down with you saying, tell me the gospel is like this. You don't get mad at them because they got it wrong. You have a chat with them. You do what Jesus would have done. You don't sit there and be this self-righteous, indignant individual who throws around scripture to further ostracize somebody who doesn't have it right. You know, all you're doing, it, it, it's, it's the blind, um, shooing away the blind. Uh, so is Jesus saying in that verse, so Jesus doesn't, this is what Kyle's saying, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say everything in moderation. He says, can't be my follower if you can't give up everything. His invitation is an all-or-nothing invitation. I don't think that verse is saying that. I, I'm not making that connection either. Yeah, uh, and I guess what I get out of this, what I'm, what I'm getting so angry at, is that so often we Christians, evangelical Christians, shut down the, abil- the, the possibility for conversation with people who see the world differently. This woman does not see the world the same way that Kyle does or, or as her son does. That's okay. You know, we may not you, agree. So where would you take it? So, so let's chop off the end of the chapter. She, yeah. says, she says, you know, my son's kind of gone off the rails here. Can you please tell me that it doesn't have to be all or nothing? Sure. I mean, I was, if it were me, I would say, well, tell me about that. What's, wh- where's he gone off the rails? What's, uh, wh- what do you see that's disturbing you? And then she would tell a story. She would tell us, you know, he he's, spends uh, all his time at church and he's mm-hmm. just way too involved in Christian and church activities. Right. And it sounds like you're a bit concerned about that. You think maybe he should be spending his time in other places? And then she might, she might say, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's, he's really not spending too much time with me. Or he's not spending too much time over here or doing that or whatever. Uh, and, and I would want to know, what's her concern? Where are you concerned? And then I would want to go back to him and I would want to say, so, so tell me about this. I mean, you're spending a lot of time. I do see you spending a lot of time at church now. Why do you do that? What's going on for you? Hmm. And I think what we would find in the end, my hunch is, that, you know, maybe, maybe the woman was some sort of uh, meddling busybody. But, but, you know, moms aren't always like that with their kids. I mean, they can be. Right. They can be. But, but sometimes they really have a genuine concern. And maybe this, this guy, who's spending so much time at the church, is spending less time with his mom. And, you know, we can do that to excess sometimes. But maybe his mom just isn't getting it in the sense that she, she doesn't think that church is an important thing. You know, maybe she thinks she should have... Two hours a week at church and anything more is a mistake. And, and, but that's an opportunity for a conversation. It's not an opportunity to sort of lay down the law or try to trump somebody. I'm the pastor and I'm going to quote, quote scripture. All you're doing is you're, you're totally shutting down a conversation. You're putting somebody in a position where they either have to acknowledge that you are right or walk away. I, ha- I do not see Jesus ever doing that at all, period, except with religious leaders. Ironically, the only time Jesus does that is with people like Kyle. People in Kyle's position. 
I never see him doing that outside of those people. Well, it also fits into his whole par- the paradigm in the chapter we talked about earlier of hating your family. Exactly. And this is what you get. This type of orientation, if you love Jesus, like, I just love Jesus so much, I just had to do that. No, you're, you, you are not loving your neighbor. You failed at, at the second greatest commandment. And, and I wonder if you're loving God in the way that you're treating that woman. You know, I would see that as a huge failure. That's a great point, John. And that's, that's I guess, where what was underlying my, my concern is that, yeah, if you look at the world the way Kyle does in terms of this is what loving Jesus means, it means loving him so much that, quote unquote, you hate everybody else by comparison, you're going to allow yourself, you're going to get yourself in positions where, where this type of thing is, is okay, because it's just loving God. You're just doing what you're supposed to do, and that is absolute rubbish. I, I think, I think the, the church has, has ostracized themselves from the greater culture and has shut down the possibility for so much dialogue due to this type of behavior. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 19. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.